Well, good morning, Life Church, and good morning to all of our new friends that have been joining us here online for the last few weeks. Thank you for your enthusiastic response to this God Question series. All right, now, so here's the question for today. Has the rise of modern science shown that faith in God is irrational? It's a really important topic, and I want to start off with this quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. Here's what he writes. Ever since men were able to think... They've been wondering what this universe really is and how it came to be there. Now, why does he specify men here, since men have been able to think? I think it's probably because women have always been able to think. We'll just leave that there. Well, he goes on to write this. Roughly two views have been held. He said the first one, there is what's called the materialist view. People who take that view think that matter and space just happen to exist have always existed, nobody really knows why, and that the matter, which is behaving in certain fixed ways, has just happened by a sort of fluke to produce creatures like ourselves who are able to think. That is one view, that's the materialist view. Can't be explained, it's just all just kind of like a giant machine, okay? The other view is known as the religious view or the spiritual view. And Lewis says here, he says, according to it, what is behind the universe is more like a mind. It is conscious and it has purposes, and it prefers one thing to another. Now, in our day, lots of people wonder, has science proven that the materialist view is correct? That the universe is a machine, that God does not exist, and that faith in him is irrational? Well, I'm gonna look at that today by considering some very key questions, but before I get to those, one very important caveat. I am not a scientist. I am well aware that I am not a scientist. It is likely that some of you have forgotten more about science than I will ever know. So today, I'm just going to hit the high points of already established scholarship. So here we go. First question. Is science the only way to reliably know something? Science has great prestige in our day, so it's probably a good question to ask. So are there any other kinds of knowledge besides scientific knowledge? Well, the short answer is yes, because if we don't recognize that, it really, really limits us. Now, a lot of us remember in school studying what has become known as the scientific method. It's actually a little tricky to define precisely, but it's basically this. We make observations, they lead to theories, then there'll be a hypothesis designed to test the theory, and we'll run an experiment and we'll be able to measure stuff and the outcome will either confirm or fail to confirm the hypothesis. Now, because science has made such amazing progress in certain fields like medicine and technology, some people claim that this scientific method, also known as empirical verification, they say it's the only way for reliable knowledge. That would mean there's no such thing as personal knowledge, no such thing as spiritual knowledge, no such thing as moral knowledge. Now the view that the only knowledge that counts comes from the scientific method is called scientism. Not science, but scientism. It's a belief that science not only trumps all other knowledge, but excludes all other knowledge. There's a guy by the name of Sir John Polkinghorne. He's a Cambridge physicist and an Anglican priest. He's one of the great thinkers about faith and science in our day. And he says, imagine somebody asking the question, why is water boiling in that kettle? And one person answers by saying, because burning gas in the stove is heating the water. And another person answers, because I want a cup of tea. 
Which one is correct? Actually, they both, they're both right. One answer is based on a non-personal cause, just mechanics. The other answer addresses purpose and intention. It's not scientific in a mechanical way, but it is true, and it actually answers the boiling water question in a more helpful way. See, science involves a method that is enormously useful to investigate large chunks of reality, but it's not the only way to know truth. Human life is of great value. That is true. You know that, but you can't put that in a lab. Beyond that, it's wrong. We say it's wrong to live for selfish greed. That's true. That's a moral truth. A society that's unable to recognize the value of moral truth is headed for serious problems. Now, scientism is a dogma that says any dimension that can't be explained by the scientific method either doesn't exist or it doesn't matter. Ironically, scientism itself is a dogma. It's an ideology which could never be proven by the scientific method. So, is science the only way to reliably know something? No, it is not. It's important. It's very important, but it is not the only way. Second question. Has science proven that the universe has no purpose? This is a pretty hot topic these days because the opinions tend to come from polar opposite regions, and they can be quite passionate on both sides. For example, there's a guy who teaches science at Cornell University. He made some claims. His name is William Provine. Listen to the claims that he makes in this statement. It says, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. He says, there are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain I'm going to be dead. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no free will for humans either. Now, for a science guy, that might be the most unscientific paragraph that's ever been written. It's all about his beliefs. Now, one guy that challenged him on that statement said this. He said, what single article in a single peer-reviewed journal confirmed by even one double-blind study even addresses one of those mammoth claims? Well, there are none, of course. Yet there's just this idea out there that somehow something has been found out that has discredited faith. There has not. There is not ever. Now listen to these words from an astronomer named Carl Sagan. Lots of you have heard of him. Not a guy of faith at all, but this is what he wrote. He said, we find that we live on an insignificant planet of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of a universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. Now notice all those really, really loaded words. Insignificant, humdrum, lost, tucked away, forgotten. Are those scientific terms? No, not at all. But they're weighted with meaning, aren't they? And somehow this kind of stuff tends to get taken as fact when it's really just someone's beliefs. You know, people have been contemplating creation for a very, very long time. Way back, thousands of years ago, the, the psalmist said this. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them and human beings that you care for them? And the psalmist goes on to say these words. He says, yet God, you have created human beings with glory and honor. He says, you've crowned them. It's like he's saying you've made them like transcendent beings. Human beings are invested with God's divine image. We have this capacity to learn and to create and to love. Now, 
we undoubtedly have some grandparents watching today. Yeah, I see you. You're the ones that look really, really proud out there. I know you do. How many of you believe that your grandkids are smarter and better looking than every other grandkid on earth? Well, we know that can't be true because my grandkids are the smartest and best looking kids on terra firma. Okay? Now, why do we have those kinds of feelings? Because when we look at a little person, we know that they're much more than just a blob of tissue. It's not just a collection of jiggling atoms. It's much, much more than that. Now, any worldview, any system that can't account for the inescapable dignity and value of a human being must be found wanting by any sane, rational evaluation. Okay, here's the third question. What does the human desire for meaning tell us about human existence? We talked about scientism as an ideology just a couple minutes ago. Part of what happens with scientism is you end up not only in the universe where there's no God, you end up in a universe where people don't matter, where people don't matter. There was a guy by the name of Jim Watson who won a Nobel Prize a while back for his work on the DNA double helix. Brilliant work. But Watson, was, uh, he asked this question. He said, what are human beings for? What's their purpose? And he answered his own question by saying, well, I don't think we're for anything. We're just products of evolution, he said. Notice it's not simply we're products, but we're just products. Nothing more, no purpose, no meaning. Now, one of Watson's critics wrote this about him. I thought it was pretty ironic. Here's what he wrote. While Jim Watson claimed that human life is nothing more than jiggling atoms, he did not seem to think that his accomplishments were no more than jiggling atoms. His book about how he fought and struggled to get the recognition of a Nobel Prize, it's as if Jim Watson were saying, the earth is insignificant, people are transient, existence is random, life is meaningless, but I won the Nobel Prize, mom. Look, 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 look. I'm somebody. See, passion and desire and satisfaction are very, very real things. And author C.S. Lewis writes this, he said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself with a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. There is something eternal deep within all of us. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, God has set eternity in the heart of men. He set eternity in the heart of men. All right, let's look at the fourth question now. Fourth question is, haven't science and religion always been at war with each other? Haven't they always been at war? Well, in 1633, the Catholic Church found the scientist Galileo guilty of heresy because he wrote and he taught that the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. That did happen. Now, Christians can and do get into trouble when they assume too quickly that they understand the way that the Bible should be interpreted on an issue when God actually wants human beings to do scientific investigation. So you have these statements like we find in Psalm 104 verse 5 where it says, the earth is firmly established on its foundation. It cannot be moved. Well, some Christians from the Middle Ages assumed that to be a scientific verse rather than just a psalmist descriptive worship. But they were not interpreting the Bible correctly at that point in time. And that kind of thing can happen a lot. 
However, the notion that science and religion historically have been at, at war with each other is very much a myth. As a matter of fact, historically, science emerged primarily from people of faith. There was a uh, study at Baylor University a while back, and it found that in 17th century Europe, which was kind of the cradle of science in many ways, out of the 52 leading scientists of that day, 62% of them were what would be described as devout believers, 34% of them were conventionally religious, and only 4% of them were religious skeptics. And by that time, 17th century Europe, there were skeptics everywhere. It was very, very common. But only two of the leading 52 scientists were among them. There's a scientist by the name of John Houghton who said that there is this false idea in our day that belief in God got started out because of our inability to figure things out scientifically. It's a false belief that that's where belief in God comes from. People, they say that people didn't know what caused thunder, so they made up Thor. They didn't know what governed the moon, so they made up the goddess Diana. But faith in God is not based on gaps in science. Historically, the rise of science required a worldview that involves the notion that our world is orderly and it will reward scientific investigation. Uh, there's a Nobel Prize winning biochemist by the name of Melvin Calvin and he said this, he said, the monotheistic view seems to be the historical foundation for modern science. So science and faith have not been at war. That's a, that's a myth. All right, fifth question. Hasn't evolution disproved Genesis? Hasn't evolution disproved Genesis? Another hot button topic. Evo evolution continues to be kind of a real controversial thing in some circles. Well, I remember hearing about a little boy who comes up to his dad and says, Dad, where did human beings come from? And his dad says, well, we, we evolved from apes. And so he goes to his mom. He says, Mom, where did human beings come from? His mom says, well, son, we were created in the image of Almighty God. And the boy says, but Dad says we descended from apes. She says, oh, honey, I was talking about my side of the family. <laughs> There's an uh, Old Testament professor at Wheaton College who wrote a book about Genesis. He notes that in studying the Bible, you always have to begin by asking, how would this be understood by the audience reading it in that day in which it was written? the actual, like, historical context. The Bible always emerges out of a conversation in its day, and we have to understand that in order to really be students of the Bible. People get into all kinds of goofy ideas when they assume historical context is irrelevant. I can read it as though it was written in my time, in my culture, and as if I was the center of the universe. It's kind of an arrogance in that sort of thinking. See, Genesis comes into the world a very ancient world where people were asking questions, but it was very, very different than the questions, the conversation, and the agenda in our day. In the ancient world, they weren't particularly concerned about how something got here from nothing. They were more concerned about seeing if order triumphs over chaos, or if they're supposed to be worshiping the sun and the moon like lots of people did in that day. Genesis was written to describe how the one true good God, the creator of all and all that has been made, how he made people as his image bearers. Now, of course, in our day, people are looking at Genesis to describe creation in scientific terminology, but the Bible is the story of God and his people. It doesn't really claim to be a science text. Now, I personally, I believe all of it, 
And I believe that if there is an all-powerful God out there, then why would it be so difficult to believe his account of creation? But I get that not everyone comes from my faith foundation. So therefore, it's very, very legitimate for science to explore all those kinds of questions about how and how long something might have taken. So asking the questions and exploring it is not wrong at all. We have nothing to fear from investigation, from science. The Bible and science are friends, not enemies. So don't assume that questions are evil. There have been too many young people in too many stiff-necked religious environments exposed to bad science and shoddy thinking and the misguided idea that somebody was defending the Bible when they were just defending a wrong interpretation of the Bible. And then these really bright young people go off and they pursue education and they begin to read and they discover that they were misinformed. And then they start to believe that they, that they have to choose between the Bible and, and truth. You never have to make that choice. You never have to do that. We have to be a place and a people of thoughtful faith and be humble before truth. Now, on the other hand, I do want to say this. Sometimes secularists will make claims about humanity that are both false and harmful. They're destructive. One quick example. A few years ago, a study found out that chimpanzees actually share 99% of their DNA with human beings. And one researcher said, we humans appear as only slightly remodeled chimpanzee-like apes. Just slightly remodeled. Now, one guy writing about this actually titled his book the third chimpanzee, the third chimpanzee, talking about all how humans are just slightly different than chimpanzees. Now, if you really believe that, just ask yourself this question. Would I, would I want a chimpanzee to babysit my children? Would I elect one to Congress? Insert joke here. Would I put a chimpanzee on trial for an ethics violation and hold it accountable for its actions? That's silly thinking. So human identity and human worth are huge questions, and they're very, very good questions. They're not going to be answered by comparing shared DNA with other creatures. When they get treated as though they were, it's just not very intelligent. Now, the Bible says that you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's universe. And you have to decide, do you believe that's true? Or are you just a third chimpanzee? Again, I understand that there are some really, really bright people that wrestle with these issues. I don't want to say that to demean anybody. But these two schools of thought are going to lead down some very, very different paths. All right, here's the sixth and final question. Sixth one. Doesn't the Big Bang Theory show that the universe didn't need God? Lots of scientists guesstimate the universe to be about 13 billion years old and that it was begun with something that's been commonly known now as the Big Bang Theory. Uh, Francis Collins was the uh, head of the National Institute of Health, and he used to be an atheist. Now he's a devoted follower of Jesus. And he writes about this in another book about science and faith that's called The Language of God. Uh, I shared this quote two weeks ago. Here's what he said. Here's what he wrote. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Now, 
Scientists say that there are 15 different constants in our universe. One of them is the precise force of gravity. It is understood as fact that if gravity was altered enough to make a one ounce difference in your weight, the universe and your life could not exist. It is exactly what it needs to be. There are 15 different constants whose values would have to be exactly what they are in order for the universe to support life. And oh, by the way, that's exactly what they are. It is so striking, this is so striking, that Stephen Hawking, a famous late physicist and vocal critic of Christianity, he said this, it would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have begun the way it did, except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. That's Stephen Hawking. So, has science proven that faith in God is irrational and that God doesn't exist? I would say not by a long shot. Personally, even thinking and researching all this stuff gives me such a sense of wonder and awe about a God who could do all this. It's just amazing to me. Seeking honestly is good. It is very, very good. Jesus is the kind of person who would be the first to tell you that you must ruthlessly follow truth wherever it leads. One last quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than any other slackers. If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you're embarking on something which is gonna take the whole of you, brains and all. Now let me just close with some words from the Bible. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus speaks these words. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. Anyone can do it, but no one will do it for you. I, I know that you can do this, and now I believe that you will. Let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.